the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Wednesday, July 19th, 2023. I am Seth Liebson, and our phone number is 602-508-0960-602-508960. I've got David Dahl in front of me, just to my west. He is the producer of this show. It's good to have you here, brother. North by Northwest, right yeah, in front of you. Yeah, you bet. I got no one to my north today, just you to my west. Hold down the fort. It's a heavy burden. Heavy, what is it? Heavy hangs the head that wears the crown? What is it? I think you're you're close to it. I'm close to it. I'm missing it. Yeah. I apologize, though, for not being here live yesterday. I was um, privileged to join Dennis Prager and others in testifying at a special joint House and Senate hearing at the state capitol on the issue of free speech at ASU. And the hearing went longer than we thought. The hearing resulted from the contretemps that took place when Dennis Prager and others were invited to speak on a panel at ASU in February on the topic of health, wealth, and happiness. When some of the faculty at the Barrett Honors College heard that Dennis Prager was coming, 39 of them, the vast majority, wrote a public screed denouncing the event and Dennis as a white nationalist. White nationalist. This over an event where every single participant on the panel was an ethnic or racial minority. This about a man in Dennis Prager who wrote the book on anti-Semitism, a book titled Why the Jews. It's the most widely read book on the subject. This about a man who served on the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum's board. ASU, in short order, when they learned of the event and saw that letter, took down all advertisements for the event, and the administration, president, and board of regents allowed the faculty to continue to defame Dennis Prager and others in and outside the classrooms ahead of the event. Extra security had to be hired, and Dennis Prager received death threats. The funder of the center, Mr. Tom Lewis, that invited these speakers was also defamed, and now he's withdrawn his donations from ASU as a result, and Two administrators who helped put the event together, Ann Atkinson and Linda Blake, have been fired. Now, ASU and its president and board of regents say all is fine and in compliance with the First Amendment because the event did actually take place. Sure it did. With DEFCON levels of security, intimidation of speakers, and faculty defaming the speakers, encouraging students not to attend, and administrators fired for putting the event on. At the hearing yesterday, ASU took the position, as I say, that there was no problem here because the event took place. The environment, the defamation of character, the intimidation, and the firings being of no consequence as far as ASU was concerned. Dennis Prager was reminded of an old Soviet joke. said the difference between the United States and the Soviet Union is in the Soviet Union we say you have freedom of speech, And in the United States, you have freedom after speech. That is to say, are you going to be punished for your speech? And if you are punished for your speech, how is that free speech? It's no definition of free speech I've ever heard. Rather, punishment and retribution for speech. That's not free speech. What I tried to impart to the senators and House members was something like this. Beginning with a scene from 
Shakespeare's Richard III comparing ASU and its ersatz defenses of their behavior as those of Richard's. Richard of Gloucester looks at Lady Anne's beloved, who lay dead, and he says, Say I slew them not. And Lady Anne Neville then says, Then say they are not slain, but dead they are. To say free speech took place at ASU is to say ASU, ASU did nothing wrong, and it is to say many of the people who suffered the consequences simply do not exist. This would include Dennis Prager, Mr. Tom Lewis, who endowed the center hosting the event, and was trashed by the faculty, and Atkinson, who ran Mr. Lewis's center, and Linda, Linda Blake, who worked for Grady Gamage to facilitate the event and was also fired. But exist, they do. Or as Lady Anne might put it, but dead they are. The irony here is the kinds of things Mr. Prager talks about, openly and yes, debatably, that have been libeled as white supremacy. They are the very issues that are debated in state legislatures, like I was in yesterday, across the country, every day, in all 50 states, not to mention the House and Senate in D.C. They are hardly perspectives outside the mainstream. Consider not allowing college students to learn the perspective and belief of half the country's population and elected representatives, or more. Consider a public university saying, heaven forfend college students hear about topics that might be controversial, topics related to race or life or the economy. College students are, of course, young, but they weren't born yesterday. I recalled growing up here, we had a program in high school called Model Ledge, Model Legislature, where high school students took over the state legislature for a weekend and debated these very kinds of things, playing the role of Speaker of the House and Majority Leader and Senators and Representatives. We did this in high school. We were debating these things. ASU boasts a Regents' Cup. It's a debating society and competition for students to debate these things because they, like Model Legislature, like a university, I would presume, believe there are no closed questions in an open society. But maybe we don't have an open society anymore. Maybe we think all the mystical and magical questions of the intellect, of public policy, of the life of the mind, and the mystery of, mysteries of life have been answered by one side, and there's no necess nece necessity for debate or open thought anymore. Obviously, one hardened left-wing side of our political community does believe that, they believe to think differently is to be a white supremacist or racist or engaged in hate speech and incitement, and they believe they have a right to your tax dollars to make that so. I don't know what constitutes incitement anymore. To some, saying march peacefully and patriotically is incitement. But I do know that in an academic environment, indiscriminately helicoptering around words like white nationalist or white supremacist, reduces the realm and territory of an environment dedicated to free speech and intellectual diversity or an environment that says it is so dedicated. These are the kinds of charges that legislatures do not allow in their own bodies to be made against one another. These are the kinds of charges that brought more security to an event at ASU than I have ever seen. As I say, death threats were generated. What happened to us? The height of World War II, when we really were fighting real white nationalism, among other things, U.S. Supreme Court Justice Robert Jackson, who would leave the Supreme Court to prosecute those real white nationalists at Nuremberg, wrote that if there is any one fixed star in our constitutional constellation, it is that no official, high or petty, can declare what shall be orthodox in politics, religion, or other matters of public importance. 
When professors at ASU used their public titles, their offices, their classrooms and equipment, communication and otherwise, to defame Mr. Prager and others, to intimidate students and others, that is state action. That is violative of the First Amendment. And though some may think controversial speech is forbidden, it isn't. There's a Democratic state senator who said this kind of speech is not protected by the First Amendment. That's idiocy on stilts. What is not protected by the First Amendment is defamatory speech. Again, the ASU administration allowed that, just that, defamation to happen. Ibrahim Kendi, who writes like George Wallace spoke, was at ASU this year. Nobody said a thing. Not a peep was uttered, and maybe one should have been. Angela Davis, who was once on the FBI's 10 most wanted list for supplying the guns that killed four people, including a state judge, and who received the Lenin Award from Leonid Brezhnev and the Wonder Award from East Germany's Eric Honecker, she presented at ASU two years ago, and not a peep was uttered, and maybe one should have been. But Dennis Prager shows up? And an Alfred Hitchcock Pearl Harbor of birds is unleashed to attack. That is not a standard. That is a double standard. And it is anarchy and it is unmoored. Barrett calls itself an honors college. What a joke. What a joke. Look at what these faculty teach. Words used to mean things. What happened here was a mockery of any meaning of the word academic freedom. It was ideological rigidity defended by slander and contumely. It was a mockery, a burlesque of the concept of free speech. This was an effort to chill future speech based on viewpoint discrimination, justified by defamation. And this all took place in a place that boasts of honor, making a fraud of that word when what it really brought was dishonor. If there's one thing the left did that is an assault on our language is that it's ruined the meaning of words, important words and phrases. That Dennis Prager is a white nationalist diminishes the toxicity and import of that phrase. If Dennis Prager is a white nationalist, then what phrase do you have reserved and ready for someone like David Duke? And a man that supports people of all races like Dennis and fights against bigotry like Dennis must mean white nationalism can't be all that bad, right? Well done, left. Well done. What words now will we use when someone like the KKK, some group like the KKK wants to come to Tempe or ASU? And if that white nationalist is the only phrase left that comes to mind, the students will know it's as bad as someone who supports civil rights and fights things like anti-Semitism and other forms of racism. Well done, left. Well done. As the political philosopher Leo Strauss once put it, what you are seeing at ASU is wholesale madness dressed and clothing itself in retail sanity. I thus close by saying I note that ASU is now bragging that it is building a medical school. I said I hope it has a robust psychiatry department, because given the grandiose delusion of ASU thinking they support free speech when they don't, given the protection, excuse me, the projection and gaslighting of those who tried to exercise free speech, 
when they have that psychiatry department at their new medical school, I will be the first person to say to ASU, physician, heal thyself. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Young David, you were at the state legislature with us uh, yesterday. You betcha I was. Did you enjoy yourself? Was it fun? Did you get to see democracy in a way you had not seen before, representative democracy? Democracy in action. Yeah, it was actually really interesting to see. Were you not amazed by some of the idiocy that was passing through the lips of some of those legislators. I mean, we had a state senator. <laughs> yep. This was one of the most eerie things in the world. Oh, it was very a weird. Sta- a state senator said hate speech is not protected speech. Now, I mean, the reason it actually is, I mean, there's not a single law professor in the country that would agree with that statement. It is, it is literally protected speech. But the reason it is is, Who's going to be the arbiter of what hate speech is? Because you oppose aborting a child in the third trimester, that's hate speech, evidently. Because you oppose the agenda of Planned Parenthood or NARAL, that can be considered hate speech. That's why you cannot have a First Amendment ban or a ban on hate speech in compliance with the First Amendment. And then the state legislator was informed of that. Yes, I think that's the funniest part. In a in a hearing that was supposed to run a good yeah. three hours, yeah. we went a good three or four hours yeah. more than yeah. the allotted time yeah. that we had. Yeah, and uh, it went double the time, the, didn't it? Yeah, oh, it went more than double. I yeah. think. Yeah. and uh, we had to stop. Yeah. in the middle. Yeah, and to call the, in uh, counsel. To call in the. Uh, the now she did that. Does. That state senator, that idiot, did that. Right? She said, "I'd like to bring." What, what, uh, yeah, she said, I'd like to bring in. And when she wasn't satisfied right, with the answer, right. she asked, she asked for the legislative crowd. council yeah, yeah. to come in and give a disquisition on whether hate speech, not really a disquisition, but an answer, a specific answer and legal analysis as to whether hate speech is protected by the First Amendment. And he did that. Mm-hmm. And he gave, I don't know, a three minute, five minute answer, something like that. Pretty, I mean, it was pretty clear. Sure, he said that you know the thesis of legal scholars right. of the past two hundred plus right. years. <laughs> right, been, uh, you know, hate speech is protected. actually protected. But then, to define it, uh, insult to injury. She would later go on to say she doesn't believe him. Mm-hmm. She calls him defend. in. Yep. She calls him in as the expert, per her wishes. Yep. Because she's not smart enough to know it. Going into a, going into a hearing on hate speech, he gives the answer that she requested, which we all thought was a waste of time because it's like coming in to, I don't know, prove Julius Caesar died in 44 BCE or something, and he gives the answer, <laughs> and uh, and then she says, well, I'm not accepting it. Talk about invincible ignorance. I, I thought that was the, that was the funniest It was part, so yeah. odd, and I said to Republican legislators um, who are not on the, on the same party of that person, I said, how do you deal with this kind of Invincible ignorance, this idiocy, day in and day out. And I was shocked, really, I shouldn't have been, when one of them says, that's not even the half of it. I thought it was about the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I thought it was the dumbest thing. And the person had no shame or qualms about it. She was happy to admit her ignorance. Yeah. And then bring in an expert. She wanted the expert to come in 
and then she just disbelieved him and kept going. It was it was just that, that there were some strange and she was angry we weren't talking about her heritage for Indeed, some reason. Yes, that's what I was it just was about. So to get weird, into. so she, weird. She she walked all over Dennis Prager yeah. for not for not acknowledging yeah. the, the genesis of her people. Yeah, as she so eloquently described yeah. it. Yeah, even though he formally acknowledged yeah. uh, the Holocaust. It, yeah. And then it was so weird too that when Dennis and I spoke. The Democrats didn't ask either of us a single question. No. Well, I, I think that was very intentional, and you can probably wear it as a mark of pride. Well, yes. I, in a sense, I do, because they thought they could bully the other witnesses and tried, but I guess the way Dennis and I spoke, they didn't think they could bully us and didn't want to probably have us take them down. I, I think it's for the same reason yeah. that none of the 30, is it 37 professors? Yeah, 38. 38 yeah, will yeah. attend they would not show. radio show. They would not the show. Tri- I think it is for the same reason yeah. is that they say that he is a white supremacist yeah. and they won't even acknowledge him. They'll give him the silent treatment, yeah. if you will. Yeah, they that's think exactly that, what they gave you and Dennis. Well, they're afraid of the response. They're afraid of being proved idiots, which they are. And... You know, the funny thing is these professors were, you know, all over social media, all over social media saying they're being unfairly un, uh, unfairly criticized and unfairly categorized. And here they had an opportunity. Here they had an opportunity in front of a bipartisan legisla- uh, uh, legislative hearing, and they chose not to show. They just wouldn't do it. But then, you know, the trick here— I hope you saw this, David, too. This was like a real crash course in how representative democracy works these days. So the Democrats wouldn't ask Dennis or I a single question. But in their closing arguments, boy, did they try and slop all over us, didn't they? Oh, they they? sure did. Yeah. Yeah. That was the only time. Because they knew we couldn't respond. Yeah. Yeah. They knew we could not respond. That's how it works over there. They don't answer. They don't question. They just defame. And what what a— what a great attendance from ASU. They yeah. show up for half of it and then yeah. they leave. Well, they did leave their one lawyer there. They left one who yeah. refused they left to, one uh, lawyer. To, yeah. leave, to leave a final statement. Right. Yeah. They didn't even have a final statement. And the record shows that ASU either didn't know what they were talking about in their presentation <laughs> or misled the hearing, misled the committee. It was a pretty poor performance by the left. Certainly. Pretty poor performance. But I'm glad you were there to see it, David. And uh, people can see it, actually, if they want to watch the video. Uh, they go to the Arizona legislature's website. You can see the video. Or uh, if you email the show, we can send you the link to it. You have the link if someone emails us, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. All right. I am Seth Leapson. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. John Dombrowski is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. His website is grandcanyonplanning.com. Great way to uh, reach him and reach out to him. He's also the host of his own radio show, heard here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m., The Word on Wealth. John, how are you today, sir? Good afternoon, Seth. Good afternoon to you. Sorry I missed you yesterday. Apologize for that. No worries. You're doing important stuff. Well, you do important stuff. This is interesting (laughs) to me, and it's kind of one of these stories that I think if anyone really read, the first reactions would be, you mean that's not the law already? Senators (laughs) to – right? That sounds – yeah, that sounds the way it's shipped. Senators to to propose ban on U.S. lawmakers and executive branch members owning stock. What's going on here, John? Yeah. 
Um, you know, would, wouldn't it be interesting if uh, you had information about something yeah. that was going to change the direction uh, of a company? Yeah. Maybe make it more profitable. Yeah. Or maybe make the stock price go up. Yep. And you knew about it. And what would you do? You'd go out and you'd buy the stock because you figure I'm going to make some money. Yeah. Um, like if you if might you call actually, a, call call one of the people in charge of the company uh, yeah. in front of your committee, or if you knew some investigation was going to take place about that yeah. company, or some regulation that might affect them one way or the other, right? Yeah. What if you actually made like some kind of a law that yeah. would prohibit them yeah. from doing something? Yeah. And it would hurt that company, right? And you knew that you you knew that before anybody else. Yeah. And you said, you know what, that stock price is going to go down, so I'm going to yeah. short that company. Yeah. And, uh, well, that probably wouldn't be good. Uh, that sounds like insider information and insider trading, and that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Uh, but isn't it interesting that our lawmakers get to do that, but we can't? Yeah. Um, do you think that they would have a fiduciary responsibility to the public, and they apparently don't? So this is a um, new piece of legislation, and it's, this has been tried before and talked about before. Uh, Kirsty, uh, is it uh, Kirsty? Kirsten Cinema? Uh, excuse me, Gillibrand. Gillibrand. Yeah, Kirsten Gillibrand. Sorry yeah, and that. Josh Hawley, right, right uh, to unveil this new bill, and they did a poll about it. And they polled about I don't know twenty seven hundred uh, people, and pretty much about ninety nine percent of the people said, "Yeah, this is what." <laughs> but the not ninety nine percent of the members of Congress, huh? No, no. <laughs> But again, it's again they're going to vote on this, yeah. and we'll see how that vote goes. But think about this too: we all talk about term limits. Yep. This has been talked about forever, yep. and I think many people think that's a good idea. Yep. But of course, who's going to vote themselves out of a job? Right. So who's going to vote themselves out of actually being able to make insider trading and make money? Uh, I don't know if this is going to pass or not. Uh, yeah, I don't either. And it's one of these should. laws that has near. I think one of the commentators said it has near unanimous public approval. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, um, again, as an investment advisor myself, we have uh, little rules that apply to us. Of yep. course, we're fiduciaries for our clients. We yep. have to do what's in their best interest. Yep. And even such things as if I if I had some information about a stock that I personally owned and my clients owned it, I can't sell the stock before I sell my client's stock. Oh, huh. Interesting. Because let's assume that there's a company that's going down, the prices are just falling, and yeah. and I sell my stock before theirs. I'm right. putting my interest before uh -huh. my client's interest. Uh -huh. So that would that would be a violation. Yeah. Oh, that's um, an interesting analogy. Okay. But yet, you know, you've got lawmakers that can do these things, it's uh, and we have no control over that what they do. It's incredible so, to me that uh, it's incredible incredible to me. Yeah, and that 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 lawmakers think that the public is going to put up and stand. There was one other story, John. Just a little bit. Sure. I, I I am fascinated by streaming services. Big news in Netflix gained a mm -hmm. lot of subscribers. Mm -hmm. Right? Funny what they happens yep. when you uh, get rid of uh, phantom accounts and don't allow people to share their passwords with others. Right. So if you and I, as an example, we have not been doing this, but if I shared my password with you or you shared your password with me and over the last year I've been using yours or you've been using my password to watch Netflix um, programming, uh, they have now put some controls in place that they could monitor and find out who's doing this. And, of course, that is illegal to do that. Uh, so all of a sudden they had about 5.9 additional uh, subscribers, I believe it was. So um, they're uh, reporting well. They did a great great job that stock has been on a tear just like uh, some others out there um, 
still below its all-time high, but it has really shown some real strength, and, and the reporting has done very well. So you're right, though. This is another area where companies are starting to crack down on some of these uh, illegal activities that are happening, and they should because it's stealing from the company. Yep. John Dombrowski, thank you, sir. You bet. Folks want to get in touch with me, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. Securities and advisory services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, a member of Henry Sipic and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you, Seth. Thank you, John. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Brett Johnson is a partner with the law firm of Snell & Wilmer, based here locally with with offices throughout the country. He is um, our elections and constitutional law attorney of record here, and he um, his uh, website is swlaw.com. How are you, Brett? Good, Seth. Thanks for having me. You bet. Thanks for being with us. Here's a headline uh, from the New York Times. Donald Trump says he's target in special counsel's investigation into January 6th. It would be the second time the special counsel has notified the former president that he is likely to face indictment, this time in connection with the criminal investigation of the Capitol attack. He received a so-called target letter from uh, Jack Smith, special counsel. Can you unwind that for us, Brett, what this means? Sure. You know, um, there's a standard practice. It's not necessarily required by but there's a standard practice when, especially when the Department of Justice is investigating somebody and the person's aware of the investigation. And the, and the question is, should I be cooperating one-on-one or am I a target? Mm-hmm. And the Department of Justice a long time ago came up with this concept of providing you a target letter that would also go with an invitation to uh, appear before the grand jury. They could obviously subpoena anybody to go before the grand jury. But um, I, my understanding is, is that in, inside this target letter, there is that, that invitation. But uh, a target letter will obviously provide the, the, the notice, but then also put specificity as to what type of criminal charges would be possibly at stake. They're not going to give the factual background for it and just really list the statutory offenses. Now, we'll get into what they might possibly or theoretically could possibly do, but I was talking to a friend this morning, and I guess this question could have abided with any of the investigations or charges against Donald Trump, but he said, can he really, I mean, would they really potentially find a jury that could put him in jail. And I said, or prison, I said, I, I just don't even know how you put someone under Secret Service protection in a prison or jail. I don't know how that you could possibly do that, Brett. Oh, that that would be uncharted territory, one hundred percent. I would I would highly doubt, unlike uh, the other January sixth individuals that have been arrested, that he would be put in the D.C. jail yeah, right. awaiting trial. Right. Um, but there could be other restrictions, of course, you know, house arrest. House arrest, especially. Yeah, yeah and, 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 one, and everybody watches TV, and one of the reasons why a judge would, would order house arrest or detention is that the ability and the means to flee the country. And obviously, he's a former president of the United States. He's a very wealthy individual. But in this context, especially because he's under the protection of the Secret Service, I would just doubt that he would be arrested. Um, the the bigger issue is, is the constitutional challenges that are going to be coming um, as a result of the, uh, any type of indictment. Now, you remember that there's a big difference between the current um, criminal case that is ongoing in Florida mm-hmm. dealing with the classified documents, right. because those are documents that were taken basically, quote-unquote, 
after the presidency, right? right. Acts that right. occurred after he was no longer president. Right. This is in relation to acts taken while he was That's right. a sitting president. And there's a lot of Nixon, Clinton, yep. um, Grant. They've all had to deal with these issues, and it's never really, really been resolved by the courts as to exactly what that means. And if there is any immunity, to it. Now, the Department of Justice has put out two memos over the years, one in the 70s and then again um, Clinton in the 2000s, um, that really stated you cannot indict a sitting president because of the consequences. And if you wanted to do something, you would have to first do impeachment. Right. Now, that, that adds a second wrinkle here right. is because you have to remember he was sub, uh, President Trump was subject to impeachment yep. for the January 6th yep. act. And and he was not it was not brought up um, for uh, he was not uh, convicted of that by the Senate. Mm-hmm. So does double jeopardy apply? Because that's the process that is set up for a sitting president. It didn't happen. And what's the implications of that on a criminal trial now for acts while he was president? So it, it's very convoluted. There, you know, this is going to go on for a while through the courts. Um, if 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 they really uh, bring the actual indictment and what it actually says. Now, he said it's for the January 6th, but you got to remember the, the large uh, context there. There were things going right. on in other states right. with the electors, et cetera. Right. Right. And if I was the prosecutor, I'd be bringing them all at once. Now, that inter- that, that I had not contemplated the issue of double jeopardy. Can you, it, is it considered in this case federal, excuse me, double jeopardy because it's the same, it's the same federal same. system it's, it's it's not a dual sovereignty kind of thing a uh, problem right because it's the same sovereignty That's, it's the federal am i somewhere on a it, track it's here? a federal government yeah. it's double jeopardy federal government and and the first instance for a sitting president is, is by by department of justice memo right. is the impeachment process right. Right. you're brought up basically upon the same statutory charges um and and you have the opportunity the, the congress has the opportunity to bring those similar charges that you violated these criminal laws that make you high crimes and misdemeanors mm-hmm. no longer eligible president and this doesn't convict you then what is that consequence for further action afterwards for those exact same acts right. that is what the, the the question is going to be um, and again, it's going to be a lot smarter people than me that has to have to address some of these issues. I have a feeling it won't be actually smarter <laughs> people than you that have to address these questions, Brad. <laughs> I said to someone the other day about some people on the other side of the aisle, they're not sending their best. And he said, no, I, I think they are. <laughs> you know, I, I think they are. Uh, Brett, um, the... The issue of Department of Justice guidelines, that, is that the highest it's ever gotten, the notion that you can or cannot indict a sitting president? It's not, it's not really a federal law so much as it is guideline, it, right? And how easy is, is that not. to overcome? So, yeah. Correct. And, and so the Congress, uh, congressional you know, senators and, and uh, congressmen, the, there is uh, immunity in there um, because of uh, that's it, purely in the, in the Constitution. It's the, the, the speech and debate clause. That gives them immunity for for uh, some of the official acts. There is also statutory um, uh, immunity, which okay. Congress gives to all federal officials for their official acts, so long as it's not violating another law. Mm-hmm. So, but in this context, it's it's been inferred that it goes all the way back to the founding um, founding fathers and what they had to face. If you remember Aaron Burr, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and whether or not a vice president could be fit for um, a conviction, then yeah. we had obviously. 
Vice President Agnew. Spirit. So there's a whole bunch of precedents right underneath the, the, the president, and it's really just the Department of Justice memos that state it. There has been commentators out there about anything dealing with the sitting president and the acts that occur during the presidency um, is whether or not you should impanel um, some other sort of advisory uh, group, uh, half Republicans, half Democrats, outside of the Department of Justice who are versed in this area to really provide a recommendation be, rather than having one person, in this case a special counsel, mm-hmm. making a determination as to whether or not to indict a, a former president for acts that occurred yeah. while president. Whatever that debate and that series of debates takes on – People are somewhat confused about something I don't think there's any question about. But in the what I think would be the odd and extreme eventuality that he were in house or under house arrest or in some form of incarceration, it simply does not bar him from running for president. That is that is that that is pretty settled at this point, right? That that, that, yeah. that that's correct. Right. I mean, you would have to do some serious yeah. extrapolating out of the yeah. Constitution to, to somehow find a prohibition yeah. there. Yeah, Brett Johnson from Snow and Wilmer. Thank you, sir. Thank you. SWLaw.com. All right, Mr. Dahl, uh, we will be right back. Folks, when you think about uh, the stock market's volatility and you hear about people talking about a recession on the horizon, you think about the inflation we're all going through and bank failures, you ask, where do you go to invest? Why Refi has an investment in a portfolio It's got a high fixed rate of return, and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. It's a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you choose. And there's no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio from Y-Refi, and they're headquartered here locally. They encourage you to stop by their offices. They're on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there a couple few times. I can tell you... You won't get a sales pitch, and no one's going to ask you to sign a thing. But when you do meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I like and trust them so much, and you can too. Y-Refi is a due diligence-approved firm, and you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or call 888-Y-REFI-34, 888-Y-REFI-34. We learned the name of the other IRS uh, whistleblower today. And um, there was some pretty explosive testimony. Um, His name, by the way, Joseph Ziegler. And, um, you know, you would just think in a normal world, these whistleblowers might get treated the way other whistleblowers have been treated, as having something so important to say about official misconduct that, It might make the New York Times or the Washington Post or even come to the attention of CNN, and it hasn't. Reading from Brittany Bernstein's reporting, IRS whistleblower Gary Shapley testified Wednesday that the U.S. attorney for D.C., who was appointed by President Biden, had the final say over whether charges would be brought against Hunter Biden and that the Biden appointee was the one who made the call not to charge the younger Biden with a felony. Shapley, who worked as an IRS investigator for over 10 years and oversaw the agency's tax investigation into Hunter Biden, told the House Oversight Committee today that despite Delaware U.S. Attorney David Weiss claiming he had ultimate authority over the investigation, that in fact it was D.C. U.S. Attorney Matthew Graves who was in charge. 
after U.S. Attorney for D.C. Matthew Graves, appointed by President Biden, refused to bring charges, I watched Mr. Weiss tell a room full of senior FBI and IRS investigators on October 7th, 2022, that he was not the deciding person on whether charges should be filed. So you understand what's going on here, folks, right? David Weiss was the Delaware attorney who purportedly was in charge of the investigation, but he actually was not. It was a Biden appointee, the D.C. U.S. attorney, who was in charge. You'd think that kind of explosive testimony, especially when both the Attorney General and David Weiss have been on record contradicting that, would make news. You'd think it would. In a better day, it would. We need that better day. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 